for the Bible. That's novel, isn't it? So I'm going to start with a couple of stories in the Bible. And if you're new to the whole church thing or you don't know what the deal is, can I encourage you or give you a little bit of a background here? The reason why we share stories out of the Bible um, is because we understand that all of Scripture is God-breathed and second. Timothy 3.16 says that all scripture is inspired by God and good for teaching, good to help show us, not just teaching us about what the Bible says, but teaching us about what God says about us. And we know that it's the authority because it's God breathed. And any good um, philosopher in the room will say, well, that's a circular argument. The Bible says it's God breathed, so we know that it's God's brief. It is a circular argument, but we know also because of the miraculous content of this book, we know that what God has said about it is true. We know because we see a book that's written by 30 or more people over the course of like 3,000 years and how it actually forms one story that's coherent from start to finish and not just coherent, some of the stories at the beginning of the book actually um, predict and prophesy and speak into things that we see happen at the end of the book so we know that it couldn't be something that man put together. It has to be God-breathed. And so because we know that it is what it is, we can believe what it says, and it's good for us to seek the truth that's in the stories that it tells us. So that's why we read these really strange stories about, you know, men, uh, prophets in the, in the um, wilderness calling bears out to come and, um, you know, deal with some people that were calling him bald and all sorts of weird stories that you find in there, but there's actually truth in all of them that help us to understand both who God is and who we are and help us understand what our purpose is and our role is in this world. So I'm going to start in an Old Testament story, actually right at the beginning, not quite actually, but in Genesis. I'm going to read a story Actually, not much of a story. It's kind of like one of those things that we bypass, skip over and go, that's an in-between. It's like one of those joining bits, like what happened in between one crazy story and the next crazy story, what's going on in the middle, uh, and just helps kind of to connect the dots. But there's something in here I want to show you. So it's about Isaac. Now, the three, um, you'll hear about um, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Isaac is kind of the middle, you know, uh, Abraham's the first one that receives the promise of God. Um, that declares that he's going to make uh, the Israelites God's people. And Isaac is Abraham's son. Isaac is the son of promise. He's the one that, you know, he uh, actually ended up having, or him and his wife Sarah had when they were in their old age, um, so much so that Isaac means laughter because they thought it was hilarious that at 90 she had a baby. I think that's kind of funny too. (laughs) Why? (laughs) It's still funny. (laughs) So, then Isaac sowed into the land and uh, reaped in the same year a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. And the man began to prosper and continued prospering until he became very prosperous. There you go. Making a point. For he had possessions of flocks and possessions of herds and a great number of servants. So the Philistines envied him 
Now the Philistines had stopped up the wells which his father's servants had dug in the days of old. They had filled them with earth. And Abimelech said to Isaac, go away from us for you are much mightier than we. And then Isaac, so out of jealousy, basically their enemies have caused them to suffer because they stopped up the wells in the land where they were occupying. And if you um, understand, it'd be like somewhat like living out in Kalgoorlie. If you decided to withdraw the water supply, it would make life pretty difficult. It's kind of like if they cut off the internet here. So they're not happy, they've not got what they need, they're in the desert and they need water and the enemies have stopped them from accessing their water. Then Isaac departed from the land and pitched a tent in the valley of Gerar and he dwelt there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water which his father um, had dug for the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham. He called them by names which his father had called them. And also Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found the well of running water there. But the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, The water is ours. So he called the name of the wells Esek, because they quarreled with him. And then he dug another well, and they quarreled with him over that one also. So he called its name Sitna, and that actually means hatred, by the way. And he moved from there and dug another well, which they did not quarrel over. So it was called Rehoboth because it meant the Lord has made room for us and we shall be fruitful in the land. Then he went up there to Beersheba and the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God, your father, uh, the God of your father Abraham. Do not fear for I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your descendants for my servant Abraham's sake. So he will build an altar there. Uh, so he built an altar there called the name called on the name of the Lord, and he pitched a tent there, and there Isaac's servants dug a well. Lord, I thank you for your word, that it is the inspired word, that it is given to us, Lord, to help reveal to us who we are and who you are to us. And Lord, I pray as we share this morning, as we open up your scriptures, Lord, that uh, we would see God through your spirit, that you would help reveal to us the truth that it is and help us to relate that and connect that to our life. God, I just pray as we open this up that you would use it to teach us, challenge us and encourage us to live more like you would like us to live in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, strange little story. It's kind of the in-betweener. What are they doing? So Isaac, you've got to understand, carried a promise He was the promised child to Abraham. He was the one that was supposed to be the the beginning of the multitudes that Abraham had been promised. God promised that he would make his descendants as, uh, uh, as many as the sand on the seashore that they could see, as many as the stars in the night sky. It's a great promise and it all rested with this one Isaac. And so Isaac is now carrying the promise that God had given his dad. And he is going in to try and take the land or occupy the land that they were supposed to have been promised and his enemies are pretty busy trying to stop him from doing it. Filling in the wells, cutting off their internet, stopping them from being able to do what 
God had called them to do, which was occupy that land, become uh, God's people in that place. So, where I see this story going, I guess, is uh, there's, a, there's a picture that's with the well that shows not only God's provision, because we see that the water's there already, but an act that's required from the people of God. I've called this message today, promise, oh no, I didn't, I changed it. I called it word, word worship and work. Not because, be, only because promise, praise and work aren't starting with the same letter. But it kind of makes more sense. Because they receive the promise and they give God praise for the promise. You see at the end that he, um, he builds an altar, he declares the name of the Lord and then he builds another well. It says they'd built a well called Rehoboth that was plenty, that made room for them all. So if there was a well that was built that provided enough for all of them, the last little sentence of this story doesn't make sense. Unless we understand that Isaac saw not what was already in front of him, but had faith to believe for the promise that God had spoken over him. Because if Rehoboth was room for many, room for all of them that were there, what did he do? He built another well to make room for God's promise. I think sometimes we stop with the promise way back when our enemies are busy filling in the wells. See, if Isaac had given up and gone, well, we just can't do what God is telling us to do because these people keep coming against us, keep filling in the wells, then you'd give up before you found what, where God's provision was. You'd give up before you'd find what God had made room for already and you'd definitely give up before you made room for the promise that God has given you. But how quick are we to give up when someone fills in the well? I'm going to read a story. I just pulled my little tab out. That's annoying. Now I'm going to have to find it, but lucky I know where it is. I'm going to read in Luke 7 and 20. Good thing it's not one of those like weird little books that you can't find without flipping 100 pages. I think I know where Luke is. Is this making sense? I think I'm, I'm only halfway through, so don't worry if you're not following yet. So chapter 7 and verse 20. Here we have John the Baptist. And I actually um, heard, uh, I went to see um, Corey Turner last night, who's a prophet that's in at the moment, and... Um, and he shared a little bit about a whole other thing, but he read from this verse. And you know when you start thinking and you're on a tangent? And I was like, this is definitely what God is talking about with this whole well digging thing. And so um, he was talking about John the Baptist and explaining how John the Baptist is a guy who should know who Jesus is, right? The Bible says that when Elizabeth, the mother of 
John and Mary, the mother of Jesus, were both pregnant and encounter each other, that the baby John in Elizabeth's womb actually recognised the presence of Jesus and the baby rejoiced in the womb. So this is a guy that should probably know who Jesus is. This is the guy that, you know, baptised Jesus, recognising who he was, saying he wasn't even fit to tie his sandals. This is the guy that knew, that declared in the wilderness who God was, uh, who Jesus was, and that he was the coming king. You know, this guy knew who Jesus was, right? But John's come to a point where things start to get challenging, things start to get hard, the people are not as favourable towards Jesus' ministry anymore and they're definitely not as favourable towards John's. John is facing a difficult time in his life and we see this just out of nowhere, you know, Jesus is talking, speaking some parables and then we see in verse 20 it says, then the disciples... Uh, uh, Sorry, when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, this to Jesus, by the way, saying, are you the coming one or do we look for another? John the Baptist has sent his disciples to Jesus to ask him, what's the deal? You were supposed to be the coming king and it doesn't look like it's shaping up that way. Things don't look how I thought they were going to look. Some dudes are filling in my wells. Are you the one or not? If anyone should have known, it was John the Baptist. But what we see in this story is A, everyone doubts. Sometimes even John the Baptist. Everyone. We have doubts. We all doubt things sometimes, question things sometimes. But what we see, the doubt wasn't the problem. The problem, or the answer to the problem, was what John the Baptist did with that doubt. Instead of taking his doubt to his disciples and saying, I think we were wrong, we got this, you know, this Jesus guy isn't the one. Instead of trying to find someone else to follow or do something else, John goes to Jesus. He takes his doubt to Jesus. He continues to pursue the promise to have faith, to believe what God had told him and to continue to do what he knew was right even in the midst of his doubt. So sometimes you feel like your faith has failed you. Or you feel like you dug too many wells and they got filled in and you just can't dig another one. You say, what, this, what has this got to do with our message or our topic of um, reaching out and embracing the community with the love of Jesus? Well, sometimes... You've just done that one too many times and you feel like it's failed you. It didn't do any good. The person didn't respond the way you thought. It was harder than you thought it was going to be and the program didn't work out or the thing that you'd invested in didn't work out or the person that you reached out to rejected you or rejected the message of Jesus again. And you think maybe 
maybe this isn't what I should be doing. You start to doubt. You start to doubt what God has called you to do. Maybe you stepped out into what God has spoken into you once. Maybe you had felt to do something for the kingdom of God and you stepped out thinking you were doing it the right way and it didn't work out and you decided not to dig another well. You decided not to reach out. See, it's human nature to harden our hearts when we get rejected, when things don't work out the way that we thought it was going to work out. The thing with Isaac and his wells is he couldn't rely on his dad's promise. He had to receive his own. He couldn't rely, he literally couldn't rely on the work his dad has done. It had been filled in, it had been long wiped out. He had to dig his own wells. He had to continue to pursue the promise of God. And the thing with us is we can't rely on our previous experience and just sit back and let it go and not pursue what God's called us to do. We can't sit back and just give up and still expect to see God move. It might be more comfortable for us not to put ourselves out there, not to pursue those things again, not to try again. But if we want to see the promise of God, see, it's only after Isaac digs the third well, he receives his promise. Not just the word that had been spoken over the generations, not just that general call that he knew was what God had called. But it was when he dug the third well that he's spoken to, that he's given his specific promise. Where God identifies him specifically and says, calls him out by name and speaks the promise again to him. See, what's amazing about the third well was enough for everybody, but the fourth well they dug, and they actually, um, in Beersheba, there's a well outside of the city walls of Beersheba that still exist from um, first century. So, um, sorry, no, from, uh, not first, from like from eighth century, which is where they think roughly was the time, eighth century BC, by the way, not after, they think was the time that, uh, they would have been in, in that location. And so there's a well there that the top little bit of the well, which um, we, like, you can, still, you can just walk right up to it. It's weird. I, like, I think we, we protect things that are, like, 20 years old and put a fence around it in Australia. So I'm like, here is this, like, I don't know how many thousand-year-old, like, monument type thing because a, a well is a big deal out there. It was hot. Beersheba is, like, the southernmost and the hottest part of like the early land of Israel. Like when you hear, the Bible talks about from Beersheba to Dan, that's like bottom to top of Israel. And so this is like right down near the Dead Sea. It is hotter than hot. And this well is like the center, the most important part of life. And we're just like standing on it. Um, 
the top is like a little bit later construction, but they know from dating and all of then the types of construction, that's a well that was dug in the time of what would have been um, the early occupation of the Israelites in Cana. And so this potentially is one of the wells that's dug at the time of this story. And so the third well, Rehoboth, is the well that provides for many, but that was just a, in a place where the water already existed. It tapped into like a still water. But the fourth, water, uh, the fourth well that was dug by Isaac actually taps into living water, taps into a spring that runs past underneath where the city of Beersheba exists. And what happens probably the Canaanites had settled there because of that spring. And then when the Israelites came into the land, they built... Um, their city there because the water was there. Wherever there's water, there's life in Israel and wherever there's not, it's just like whitewashed nothingness. And so not only did Isaac obtain his own promise, but he tapped into a source of living water. When he decided to not only thank God for the promise that he'd been given, to worship him for it, but build another well, he actually tapped into the living water. And we know Jesus comes and says, I am the living water. When we decide to continue to try and do what God has called us to do, to step out again, to dig again, to reach out again, we tap into the source of the living water. If we shrink back and give up and write people off and, and close ourselves off and build a wall and decide we're never going to get hurt again, we wonder why we can't tap into the Spirit of God. We can't feel His presence or connect with Him the same way that we used to. Maybe it's because you need to dig again. Maybe it's because you need to dig not just enough, for provision for yourself, but to make provision for the promise that God has given you. I believe as a church that God's requiring of us to dig again. To make provision for God's kingdom, even when it feels like the enemy has been filling in the wells behind us. And I believe it's because we will find as we step into what God has for us, we will connect with the source of life and living water that is Jesus Christ. As we start to build his kingdom on earth like he has called us to do, as we start to reach out and love our community and do the things that actually look like what Jesus looked like on earth and actually be the body of Christ, not just in name but in action, we tap into a source of living water and ask the band to join me. I said to Tash this morning, I don't know how this is going to go. I've got a whole lot of thoughts and I don't know how logical they are, but I hope I'm making sense this morning. I didn't quite know how to put it in a logical order, but all I know is there's something about digging a well again. There's something about continuing to pursue the promise of God even when you've feel failed or frustrated or left behind or left out. 
or when you've doubted. The call this morning is to bring your doubts to Jesus and to dig again. Maybe it's a personal call for you to dig the well again to reconnect with God. Maybe you experienced hurt or rejection, whether it in church or maybe disappointment where you thought God was going to come through for you. I want to promise you that God will never leave you or forsake you. His word says that, but he won't always do exactly what you think he's going to do. John the Baptist was so confused because they had this expectation of a kingdom that Jesus was going to bring and it didn't look at all like what they thought it was going to look like. And so he had to ask Jesus again. Maybe it didn't turn out like what you thought it was going to turn out like. God is still God and he's asking you to dig again. Maybe the challenge for you is to thank God for the promise, to worship him, but not just to leave it at that. God's given me enough. I can assure you most of us sitting here, God has given enough. If you know that God has saved you, set you free, you're living in a place right now that, you know, we don't even know how amazingly blessed we are to live here, how, how free we are. But maybe you need to dig again for the promises of God, to make provision. Maybe you need to dig and connect with the living water so that you can be the provider for someone else, so you can connect someone else in so that you can draw someone else. Reveal the hope. Start to be part of what God is doing on a bigger scale because it's not just about us. It's about the world that he loved, that he's called us to. Amen. Just stand. As we sing this song that calls us to step out in faith, you know, I, when I first heard this song in a place of everything being, you know, all good in life and everything's going well, and I hear the lyrics and I imagine that God's calling me out into, you know, big things that God wants, you know, you're stepping out into faith. But the biblical basis of this story isn't actually about God calling you into some incredible unknown. It's actually walking through the storm that you're in right now. Leading you out. The stepping out actually happens much closer to home than we think. As you step out this morning to reach out and connect with God challenge you to ask God what he requires of you you know digging a well isn't as easy as giving thanks and setting up an altar it required immense amounts of work these weren't like a little 
uh, wishing well like the ones that we have at a wedding ceremony that's about the size of this stand here. And, you know, this, is, this was a water source for an entire city that required cutting and moving stone, reinforcing and plastering from the inside so that the water wouldn't leak out after the rain and after the um, fl- like flowing water had come through. Required digging through levels and layers of limestone. Not nice soft soil. I think anyone who's lived anywhere around this area would know what it's like to attempt to dig even a metre through limestone. This wasn't an easy task. It required work. It required them to commit to and continue to do, to go through the process to be able to complete the project. See, digging a well wasn't just, uh, oh yeah, we're going to do that. Take years to complete. Are you willing to make the commitment this morning to dig again, no matter what it takes, to pursue the living water? Every eye closed this morning. I just want to ask if there's anyone here Maybe you haven't connected to that source of living water. Maybe you've never stepped out in that way and given your life. Like we talked about this morning about surrendering our finance and, and that's just one area of our life. But we, as we surrender our life to the God that has given us everything anyway, you can be assured that He takes whatever we have to offer and makes something beautiful out of it. Whatever you're struggling to face is easier knowing that your life and this world is in the hands of a God that created it and loved it enough that he would come into the world as a man and lay down his life to pay the price that we deserve to pay so that we could be made in right standing with him, walk with him, have relationship with him. Maybe you're in this place and you need to reconnect with that. Maybe you're in this place and you've never done that before. With every eye closed in this building, maybe it's been a long time. You were hurt, someone filled in one too many wells and you decided not to try again. The call this morning is would you dig again Would you put up your hand this morning and reconnect with God? Recommit your life to Him? Is there anyone here that would like to do that? Just raise your hand right now so I can pray for you. Is there anyone here that wants to do that? Lord, we thank you for your great provision for us, God, that you made a way that we could connect with you. And I pray that if there's anyone here that needs to do that this morning, Lord, that you will reach out, that your peace would rest with them, that they would know your presence so real here this morning.